Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, students are uh, dismissing to my right, your left. So if you are a student and you want to get in on that action, you can follow Miss Lita, Miss Lena, excuse me, in that crowd going through that door back there. Thankful for that, uh, that sort of alternative discipling environment that is just really fixated on, on raising our kids in Christ. So it's a beautiful thing that's going on back there. Um, <clears throat> today, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about a couple of things, and that is the the nature of what we're going to be talking about this morning, which is prayer. And this is, I think, a particularly important thing to discuss, especially during uh, really everything that's going on in our world and maybe even in our personal lives <clears throat> right now. And so we're going to jump into that in here in a moment. If you have a, a Bible with you or you're using the Bible app or you're online, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46, I'll go ahead and read that text to you here in a moment. But before we do that, I want to just mention a handful of things. And so uh, I actually wanted to pick up on what Rob said earlier. Very thankful, obviously, for the depth of, uh, of talent we have for music leadership. Uh, Abe and Abby are at home kind of resting, breaking, which is something we really encourage here. And we did, no joke, put up a Christmas tree already. <clears throat> so we discussed, like, and I know you're thinking, man, it's the, it's the middle of November. You already put your tree up. And you need to know, like, we put it up the first week of November. Like, we just basically drug it down in the last week of October and put it up. Because if ever we needed Christmas early, it's this year. That's for, for sure. So as far as I'm concerned, you can, uh, you can bring as much Christmas up into this mug as you want over the next six weeks. Because I'm very much looking forward to focusing on the coming of Jesus. What a, what a timely opportunity we have to discuss that in the midst of all that is going on in our world. And so if you're with us today in person, we're glad to have you. If you're watching us online, equally glad to have you. I just want to mention, as I always do, that to the left and to the right of you, you'll find what we call connection cards. And those cards are a great way for you to communicate to us if you have a, a prayer request or a need if something is going on in your life. If you are watching us online, you can contact us. There's a host of ways uh, through the church office email, uh, text. There's uh, even directly through the website. So just keep that in mind. We don't want you thinking that restoration is just a one hour and 10 minute event that takes place on a Sunday. Our, our real prayer is that as we move into our natural circles of influence, you know that you carry with you the light and the life of Christ and that we want to support you in all that you do in the unique places God has placed your life. And that's exactly why I think this, at least for this season, this passage of scripture that we've been studying is, is pretty important. We began this conversation when we began officially physically worshiping again together, having an in-person option, talking about why, why we even need the church, why it matters, why, why would people during a very difficult time all around the world labor intensively to continue um, the mission of Jesus. And so there's, there's a theological truth first that, that underpins everything we're saying here, and that is that Jesus' church is going to move forward until he calls it home. And there's something really wonderful about knowing that he is the, he is the locomotive, right, that has made a promise to us some 2,000 years ago that, uh, that the church will continue to persevere no matter what goes on. And if you look at the last 2,000 years of history, you can really see there have been some very challenging times in the life of God's people and the church. And so with that, what we've done is we've taken sort of this beautiful promise, and then we've connected it to Acts chapter 2, which is one of the first writings we have in the New Testament about some of the actions, some of the things that made the church the church, what they were doing. And what I want to do now is sort of read 
those, that passage to you again. I will briefly summarize the things that we've discussed, and I fully expect that when we get to prayer, which is what we're going to be discussing today, in a very dialogical format, just remember we've sort of shaken up this time a little bit where I'll do blocks of teaching and then invite you all to respond to some very particular questions. I've really been enjoying that. Um, when we get to prayer, I actually have what I think is a singular uh, weeks worth of teaching, but I'm pretty sure based on the robust dialogue we've had, we're going to have to break this up into two uh, sections. So we'll, we'll see where we go. I think today I'd like to try to establish the foundation for why uh, we pray. And then we'll talk next week, uh, because I'm trying to say very gently, some of you are a little long-winded, and so, uh, so am I, right? Uh, so am I. <clears throat> I'm the last person on earth to be condemning people for being long-winded. I'm like a sail that never runs out of air. Uh, so uh, if we don't get to that section today, then we'll talk about some practical implications of prayer next week. But let me begin by reading Acts 2 to sort of frame our time this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. Remember, this is, the, this is Luke recording the early actions of the church. They, speaking of the Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so thus far we've discussed these key things that the apostles were uh, devoted to. Okay? We discussed, the, first of all, the apostles' teaching. And we, the very first week, identified the importance of recognizing the role that truth plays in the Christian faith. And, and our ultimate source of truth comes from the scripture, the apostles' teaching. Uh, then we talked about fellowship, and we discussed this idea of koinonia, the idea that fellowship is, uh, this word in particular, is defined by a mutual participation or sharing of life. And what that simply means is, when we talk about Christian relationships, it's meant to be a two-way street. And there might be times in our lives where we're on the receiving end of, of ministry and support. There might be times when we're on a mountaintop and we are really doing the distribution, like we're, we're the strong person who's encouraging and lifting up others. There are definitely peaks and valleys in this, but koinonia, Christian fellowship, is never meant to be a consumption model, simply meaning we are meant to, based on the life of Jesus, we're meant to look at what he did, and he gave sacrificially of himself uh, in very substantial ways, up to the point of death, like Paul says, even death on the cross. And so uh, anytime we talk about relationships in the church, and this is true of any relationship you have, if we ever have a, a, a relationship where one person is taking, 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 and not contributing, those relationships uh, over time become very unhealthy. And there's, there's absolutely no distinction between sort of some of the, the parameters of our physical relationships, how they apply to our understanding of Christian relationships, and certainly our followership of Jesus. Remember, we we, we profess him as our savior, but we're also set apart to call him our, our Lord, simply meaning that we live our lives for his goodness and his glory and to spread his truth and grace to, uh, to the world. So that is a very important aspect of what they're devoted to. We then talked about the breaking of bread last week and how there's two breads referenced in this text. The first one is qualified by what we call a definite article, the breaking of bread. And then the second bread is eating together. 
okay? And so we talked about the significance of communion last week and why we do this in remembrance of Jesus. Why out of all of the ways Jesus could have said for us to remember him, why is it that he focused on that event in that room that night just before he went to the cross? And that's because the cross truly is the epicenter of our our faith. And if you think about it, there's something very rich and meaningful about this, that what Jesus wants us most to remember about him is how he poured himself out on the cross for us. And that truly is the root of sacrificial living. Of course, we won't get to this today, but we see that even in this passage, there are uh, real great examples of sacrificial generosity and uh, that Christians are applying to to their brothers and sisters. And throughout history, you can really see that generosity is one of the great marks of the Christian church, our, our willingness to sacrifice for the need of others. And that finds its root directly in the person and nature and the work of Christ. And so we talked about the importance of communion, and we took our first communion here last week with the little fast food drive-by cups, which are going to be on our radar here for quite some time. The, the Obviously, the common sharing of a bowl of bread is not going to happen anytime soon, so I really did have to profess my sin of sarcasm to God multiple times as I looked at the at those things. I just I can't believe that we live in a world where you can literally buy a it's, just, it's like a Wendy's four for four for communion, basically, is what it is. But, um, but the truth is it, is it plays a role right now because you can actually have the elements without anybody but you touching them. So I guess I need to give thanks for that fast food combo. Now, today we're going um, to talk about prayer. And I'm pretty excited about this because I've taught on prayer before um, multiple times in series. Look right out. First person giving their life to Jesus. Here comes Isaiah. I love it. I love it. Told you all I was gifted. <laughs> These are the things I love about our church. Like I, I, I just love the the joking demeanor. It just it, it really encourages me. So prayer. Um, this is a pretty extensive subject, and it's it's interesting. You've you've heard me say this is not my original language, but I've sort of framed it this way. That um, when it comes to prayer, we typically fall into one of two categories. Uh, I like to say we are either inclined to go to the knee or to push the plow. And what I mean by that is, is that prayer, although it's commanded and it's important, and we're supposed to be doing it, and we have uh, multiple passages of Scripture, Old and New Testament, that show us what prayer looks like and gives us some of the elements of what it is. It's a very significant part of the Christian faith. But as people, we, we tend to fall into one of these two categories, simply meaning when we think about the future in life and what's going on, uh, when we see the troubles and the trials of the world, when we are experiencing personal trouble, um, people that are inclined to go to the knee, and what I mean by this is that their first thought is to, is to get on their knees and to begin praying, bringing things to Jesus. That's, that's one type of person. The other type of person is more inclined to immediately go to the plow. And uh, this is the way that I'm wired. I'm not saying that I don't pray, but I've learned that over the years that there really needs to be a balance between these two things. So we might see an issue or a problem or something going on in somebody's life or in our own life, and what happens is we step in and immediately begin to do things. And that's critically important, too, because what you'll find is if you have a robust prayer life, um, the Lord is not just going to speak to you about things. You'll find that oftentimes the things you're praying about or for are directly connected to things he's leading you to do. And so um, think for a moment if, if you have an inclination one way or the other, because this scale can get really out of balance if we're not careful. What happens is folks that go to the knee oftentimes will, uh, will miss the fact that, that maybe once they stand up, 
It is them whom God is calling to bring about change in that circle, whatever it is they're praying for, whether it's intercession or uh, a physical or spiritual need. On the other side of the fence, folks who, um, folks who sort of just go right to the plow, what you'll realize is there are some times, like Mark 9 is a great example, there are some times in life where you cannot push a plow hard enough to overcome an, an, an obstacle, meaning you need God. We need God for everything. But there are times in life where we are pushing a plow and we realize that this cannot be done in our own strength. And so each one of these paradigms is meant to bring us to, to a healthy balance. And what we see here is that one of the things the early church the, is devoted to, this is sort of where we begin to move to some action points. Like this is to begin, it's beginning to talk about the stuff that they're, they're doing to develop their faith and certainly to bless their world. Here they are committed, devoted to praying. And so my first question to you is, is this. Um, I want to ask you, what, what do you think prayer is? And I want you to feel free to share an experience you've, you've had with it. Like, what is it? What, what is prayer? It's, it's such a common word, not just in Christian circles. This, this word is used by many religions and even people without religion. But, but in the Christian context, it has a very particular meaning. So my first question is, what, what is prayer? How would you define it? Like if I just came in and said, you know, I've heard the word prayer a lot, but I don't really know what, what it means in the context of Christianity. What, how, would you, uh, how would you define it and, and share some experiences with it if you feel so obliged to? Okay, so if you're, you're listening online, I'm going to go ahead and re repeat this. We had a problem with a recording mic out there, but uh, this is a pretty important series of ideas that you've lent to us, and that is that um, rooted in prayer is, is thanksgiving, it's trust, it's, it's reliance, and in many ways, it, it helps us to recognize that God is God. Wh whether we're celebrating something or, or lamenting something, prayer does create this pretty meaningful uh, connection, communication connection we have with God. And everything that you just said, particularly thank Thanksgiving, that's a very important one. These are some of the after effects of prayer. I think a heart devoted to it um, begins to, to build or to grow this type of uh, fruit. So excellent. What else? What else would you all say? How would you define prayer or your, your, your experience with it too? I'm, I'm interested in next week, um, I actually, and we can, if we have some time, we'll do that today too, but I wanted to ask you all to maybe share some like real experiences you've had with prayer where you've been praying for something and something happened or God redirected your steps or, you know, fill in the blanks between those two, two poles. But for today, I'd really like to know how you see or understand what prayer is. Somebody put prayer talking to God. Okay. So somebody online mentioned that prayer is talking to God and that's absolutely uh, part of what prayer is. It is, it is us literally um, communing with God through words, through our, our, you know, we can speak to him in the same way we can speak to, uh, to one another because we believe God is a person. He is someone who thinks 
and speaks and obviously um, since we are made in his image, a lot of the way we treat each other in healthy paradigms should really be reflected in how we communicate with, um, with God. In other words, the people you love, you talk to, correct? So if we claim to love God, but there's no prayer in our life, that certainly brings us to a point of potential development, uh, the, the need for development. Yeah. Okay, so uh, again, for our folks online, uh, we just heard that part of prayer is also being silent. And the way that I like to describe this is that if you think, if we truly believe that prayer is, is our ability to communicate with God, uh, if you think about how you communicate with other people, there is a time to speak and there is a time to listen. And I think out of, the, out of the, these two sides of the same coin, what is more neglected in, in Western prayer is silence, meaning if we do pray, we often come with an abundance of, of stuff. And I'm not saying that that's bad. I mean, like we're told, to, we're told to pray so many times in the Bible, I don't even know what the count is. And we're told to do it in all things and all seasons unceasingly. So don't hear me saying like that we don't want to be bringing things to God. But uh, I know for me, it is much harder for, it's for me to, to sit in solitude or, or, to, or to wait upon uh, answers from God or truths from his scripture. Listening is a critical part of any relationship. And that is absolutely true with, uh, with prayer. Because in the human context, which is the best way we have to explain this, think about like if you, I don't know, somebody you deeply loved, you went out for supper, all right, and you talked to them for 30 straight minutes, and then you just got up and left, and they didn't say a single word. That would be weird, right? I mean, you'd, you'd think like, well, that's a pretty lopsided relationship. Part of, part of praying I've learned over the years is actually knowing when to pause and when to stop and, and learning to sense the various ways that God can communicate um, to us. And keep in mind, this is why uh, objective truth is so critical. One of, the, one of the ways we can sort out what we do or do not hear from God is by, is by knowing the, the truth. And so we have a, a world where we have many revelations that are, they're claimed to be from God, but you might have some hard times corroborating them if you were to align them with the Bible. And so I hope you can see how these things begin to weave themselves uh, together. But absolutely, the, I would actually say, and I think I'm in good biblical standings to say this, like I can't remember the passage it is, I think it's in John, but it, it talks about a time when like the spirit groans for us, meaning like we can be at places in life where we're struggling so significantly that we don't even have words. And in that moment, what God says is you don't even need them. Like my spirit will bring to me what you cannot produce on your own. And that is, you know, uh, just an incredible example of, of disciplining ourselves to be silent at, at times, but also recognizing there might be times where there are just no words to deal with what we're going, in, uh, going through in life or the people we care about are going through. So that's an excellent, excellent point. What else, what other, uh, what other ways would you define prayer and, and your experiences with it? Uh, we'll go Tona first and then the wells in the back. Okay. <laughs> So I got 
fast forward, but after that happens, just pray that that was my child's understanding of that God is and that I can come to him. And I prayed so much for that headband. <laughs> Okay, so for our Arlen listeners, we, we had someone who as a child, second grade, you said, right, was playing with their hair during prayer time uh, and had this bandana taken from them. And uh, I, I think what I find interesting about what you said is that you, 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 were, you got in trouble for it, obviously, but then you really did begin to pray for, for what I would call, there's two things you bring out here. One is accessibility, simply meaning you you were inclined to ask God for that to be returned to you, you know? And what I love about this is that that is actually the way we're told to pray. Like, we're told to bring God everything. Even the stuff that we don't even have fully sorted out, we go to him like our, our daddy. That's literally what Abba means, like a, a, a really rich and meaningful fatherly relationship. Um, but you also introduced into that paradigm what we would call supplication, and that is that you, you are asking him to supply something for you. In other words, you were bringing something to him that you wanted or needed. And in this case, even, even as children, this is what I think is fascinated as far as fascinating as far as image bearing goes, you can see that we, we sort of have some inclinations to, to, as, to treat God as the way that he allows us to treat him. Like you were comfortable in going to him, and then in this case, your prayer was answered. You got your, your bandana back. So um, applica- uh, I mean, accessibility and supplication, certainly. We're going to talk about these things in detail here. Uh, yeah, in the back. I think there's a, a richness in what you just described, and that is that um, the, 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 the sort of motifs that strike me about uh, praying for loved ones, and you use the word intercession, that we can, go, we can go to God, not even just on our behalf, but, but on the behalf of others, right? And that also is a, that is a pretty critical aspect of prayer, is that we're not only thinking of ourselves, but we actually are thinking about our neighbors, our nation, our family. There's so much need uh, around us, whether it's physical, spiritual, or emotional. But there's something pretty meaningful about what, what I would call a healthy sense of dependency. And this is sort of, you, you bring up Jesus, who literally is God, 
in human form. Right? He's a man and he's God. This is what we believe the aspects of the incarnation are. Yet we see that even he himself has a regular prayer life. Like he is God and he is man, but he prays regularly. And what's interesting about, uh, you use the word solitude, there are actually times when Jesus walks away from need. Like it, it's, it's, it's truly, if you think about it, a great example for us that even when Jesus walked the earth, there were more things to be done then there was time for him to do it. And that's why he says, you know, you're going to be able to do greater things. This isn't a gospel of John. You're going to be able to do greater things when I'm not here. And the idea behind that was that once I ascend into heaven, my spirit's going to like bust into the world. And so now we all have this amazing opportunity to, um, to expand the work of God's kingdom. And anytime we talk about that, the building of the kingdom, um, when we are praying people from uh, that might be struggling with forms of darkness into the light. It really, really, really signifies dependency. And I, I actually think it's important that we don't just, that we recognize dependency is meant to be on, or to be practiced on the, on the top of the mountain and in the valley. Oftentimes we can, we can sort of focus on God during challenging times, and we should. But I think what's interesting about Jesus, like you see it in the garden, he's clearly stressed then. But you have times where, like you just said, Tony, he just, he just realizes he needs to spend some time with God. And he goes away, and he is there. There are these, there's something unique that happens there. They commune, they speak to each other. And then Jesus is sort of like filled and, and reset. And he comes back and he continues his work of of mission and ministry until he goes to the cross. And so you are spot on in the sense of highlighting that um, prayer is somewhat of a spiritual gasoline, I would say. And it really can allow us not just to hear from God, but to, um, to be directed by God. And that's very important, especially when we begin to talk about, like you, you have after these, these disciplines here, you have a bunch of stuff that's going on. The disciples begin to do uh, a bunch of things. And so I don't know if that's me or not. Any better? Testing? Good. All right. So, so let me ask you this. Can anybody ex share one more experience with prayer? And then I actually want to read something to you. so 
As a side note, I'm going to be eating Thanksgiving with you, and I'm going to be praying for shrimp. <laughs> I love shrimp, so and uh, and it's okay. Next week we'll talk about needs and wants, but it's you know, praying for shrimp is not out of the will of God, so that's that works well. You know, like it doesn't violate any moral commands unless we're under Old Testament law. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. The, the Bible's packed with with prayers of of. Um, of supplication, supplying need. Uh, and, and I do think there are times where we really can even pray, pray for wants. This is something we'll talk about more at length next week because I think our wants get defined or, or are shaped and reshaped by our understanding of truth. So those two things are inseparable. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, Daryl's bringing up what I would call, first of all, discernment, meaning if we believe that God will speak, whether that's through his word uh, or whatever method that is. I've actually had, not, not very many, but I've had two, two times in life where I feel like God has verbally said something to me. Um, it's important that when these things happen, we not only recognize that God is speaking to us, we discern what he is saying and then in the example you gave, this is important because you, you talked about what I would call communal affirmation, simply meaning, remember, the, the disciples or the, the devoted believers here, this is much broader than the disciples now, they are praying together, and then they're eating supper together. And so much like our community groups, it's not unrealistic to think that some of the things they were praying for were run by other people, and other people were praying for them. And that is one, like my wife said, that's an encouragement to know that people are praying for these things. But two, it also creates, in this case, a positive affirmation um, where, uh, and I actually think this is one more reason why you, you can practice a brand of individual autonomous Christianity. It is not recommended or condoned by the Bible, um, but nonetheless, you can, you can do that. But it is an incomplete form of Christianity. Because the community really is significant in helping us to understand, affirm, and sometimes maybe even avoid stepping on some spiritual uh, landmines. And so when we think of prayer, it, it's not just us and God, although there is that element of that. There's also us and us. And then when you bring up things like intercession, which was mentioned, uh, like starting to pray for other people, that can define or redefine the direction of one's life. Some people start praying for... Like, for example, uh, we have a group of people at our church that faithfully 
for, for almost a decade now work at the Palmetto House in Daytona, and they have a burden to help folks who are transitioning from drug and alcohol abuse uh, to get into the real world. And what happens is, is those people have a burden. They start praying about things and they see this need and then all of a sudden their life changes because of it. They've been practicing and serving in that ministry uh, for years. So that's a great place where, you know, like if you were really praying and, and all of a sudden you're like, I think God wants me to sell cocaine, right? That's a place where the communal affirmation would probably say, maybe in Colorado, I think it's legal there now, but generally speaking, we should not do that, right? So. Communal prayer or having other people input into our lives really can free us to move forward, and it also can help us to, um, to really have a, a safety net of, of protection so that we don't move in places where it might be premature or we might be lingering in places like what you just said where it's time to move. And both of those things can be an encouragement that people can bring us. I, I want to read to you. It's an interesting definition of prayer. This is sort of like a, a bit of a textbook definition. But what, what I find fascinating is everything I'm about to read, you've all already mentioned. And uh, it's just going to be put into a concise definition. So this comes from, uh, there's, there's lots of great dictionaries for theology, but I, I like the Westminster Dictionary because it's sort of succinct and it, it, it's clear. And so here, prayer is described as this. And I actually added a little bit to it, so I'll tell you what I added so that there's full credit given. It's the human approach, which is a fancy way of saying it's, it's our ability to, to communicate to or with God. And when we pray, we address God in adoration. We address God through things like confession. We address God by speaking of things we are thankful for, thanksgiving. We address God by uh, praying for the things we need, supplication. And we address God by praying for the things that other people might need, intercession. Uh, it's, a, it's a consciousness of God's presence, love, direction, and grace that actually can be experienced. And so if we take everything that was said today, um, we use a paradigm here called Acts. It's not our paradigm. And this is why I was confident we were not going to be able to get into it in depth today, but we will next week because I want to spend adequate time on each one of these aspects. But uh, adoring God, confessing sin to God, being thankful for God, uh, asking God to supply our needs and praying for other people. All of this, it, it's, it, these are not only elements of what prayer is and what we do or how we pray, but it also says that this is one of the ways that we can consciously know there is a God. Uh, this is sort of like th this discernment aspect we're talking about is critical, that there are times, and I'm sure if we you know, just open might, there are times when you prayed and you felt the love of God. In, in incredible ways. There were probably times where you have prayed and you felt the conviction of God, where God has shown you a new area of your life he wants to work in. There are times when you might, and I don't even mean you need to be on your knees at 5.30 in the morning. I'm kind of a Brother Lawrence guy when it comes to prayer. He's an old monk that basically said, like, pray all the time everywhere. And so you might have just been in, thank, you might have been in, a, I don't know, shopping around or something, and you had a moment of Thanksgiving where you just paused and recognize, you know, thank you, God, I can afford to put groceries in my buggy, right? Uh, or there might be times where you really sense need in your own life or you see it in others and you are just praying for it. This happens certainly in private time, but as we live the Christian life, as we serve others, this happens with, with other people. And if we believe deeply that there is a God, like a conscious God who speaks to us and directs us and loves us and has died for our sins, and what that means is, Prayer cannot just be limited to, to a personal, uh, like a personal time, although there should be that. 
we, we should be mindful, like Paul says, to, to pray without ceasing in all things. And so what that means is when, you, when you're walking around a store, you see something going on that's not great, or God puts a burden on your heart, um, you can actually stop in that moment and pray. Like right there on aisle seven of Publix or wherever you, you choose to shop. This is the premise behind like what Brother Lawrence wrote. He wrote a great little devotional book. It's many, many hundreds of years old. If you ever want a copy of it, I can give you one. But he's, he talks about the, the rhythm of prayer in life. And the idea is that we, we should be thinking about this everywhere we go. Uh, because there are always needs that are around us. There are always things that need to be uh, pray for you can pray for your neighbors and your neighborhood and and for physical needs and folks that are struggling that that you know the answer is Jesus but they haven't figured that out yet there's there's never a shortage of things that we can be lifting up to God especially if we have categories and I like you, you know I don't want to limit the prayer life to just these categories but I think these five categories pretty much summarize the entirety of the ways that we pray adoring God confessing to God being thankful for God, asking God to supply our needs, and certainly interceding. These are all things we've seen Jesus do in the scripture, every single one of these. Um, so it's super important that we, we are a people that pray. And this is my last question for you this morning. Uh, why is it important that we pray? Okay, so we've talked a lot about sort of the mechanics of prayer and the meaning of it and some experiences, but why maybe even like we'll really qualify this? like. Look at the, the tumultuous nature of the world right now, okay? This is a particularly ornery season. The world has never not been ornery, but it's a little more ornery today than it was five years ago in a lot of ways, okay? Uh, with illness and, you know, we have tension with politics in the country and there's global issues across the seas. There's, I mean, just on a, on a uh, if you look at sort of like the geography of the globe, there's a lot of tense things happening right now. Uh, why is it important that we are a people who, for example, pray? Like, if you look at, uh, we have a daughter that we adopted from China, and right now there's some real tension between China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. So why, why should I care about praying for those three nations? Why does it matter, these, these prayers? So this is a really key um, point. Uh, if you had, didn't hear it on this side of the room or on the uh, internet, right after all of these things we've discussed, apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, there's, there's all that comes amongst the people that were uh, sort of participating in these worship environments. And there's even, according to this, some pretty miraculous things that take place by the apostles. And so one of the challenges with prayer, and by challenge I mean 
this is truly where we as humans have to sort of understand the economy of prayer, like God's economy of prayer, is that we are all, whether we believe this or not, we all are emotive to some degree. And like I remember telling a friend of mine one time, my wife makes fun of me all the time because I don't cry. I just don't do it. I've, I've cried like three times in my life. And I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying that's viewed as like not, I've always thought that I'm an unemotional person. But I was talking to somebody one time and they, and I said that to them and they told me like, you're like one of the most emotional people we know. Like you're always like peppy and you know, all these things that I didn't think were, were emotion. I was reminded that nobody is emotional. We all have things that get our motor running. And so if you approach God with a desired outcome, I'm not saying that it's bad to do that, but I'm saying what happens sometimes is we, we miss what God is saying because we're, we're trying to box God in a way, we're asking him to respond in a way, we're asking him to meet a need that he might need, might experience, that's what the, the definition says, but we can miss God if we, if we essentially demand that he meet our need by providing that particular experience. And I'll give you a great example of this. So uh, let's, let's go, let's take prayer and like just ramp it up to 3,000. If you look at the life of Jesus, one of the reasons so many people in the first century world couldn't come to grips with the fact that he was the Messiah is because he was absolutely contradictory to what they thought the Messiah was going to be. So you had, you had the first century world, the, 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 uh, the Jewish people that thought they were going to get a Messiah that looked like David. And David was going to come and raise the hammer and destroy Rome and put them back in their land. But Jesus says things like, hey, I'm not building that kingdom. I'm coming to do something else. You see, Jesus, in part, is brought to the cross because Pilate's like, hey, are you really trying to overthrow the Roman emperor? Like, is this the kind of king you are? And he's like, nope, not that kind of king. I'll ask you what truth is, right? So you have these people who Jesus is standing right in front of them, but they cannot see him because they have a... Uh, they have a preconceived expectation of what God should be doing or the way he should be working. And this is very true with our, with our emotions. And this is what's hard, especially when it comes to outcomes, like what we hope happens, um, or when it comes to how we, how we feel. So like I don't, um, I don't, I'm a little more cerebral in the way that I feel things. And that's sort of like where my, my light bulbs pop. And I've learned that over, the, over time, God, God has sort of, popped things into my head that I find really meaningful and rooted. But I also know there are times where it's like feast or famine. Or like look at the prophets who, who like were literally proclaiming the truth of God and Israel was just not listening to it. And so I think you bring up a real, a real challenge and that is that we have, to, we have to do our best to expect things from God. But we also have to know that we can't let any emotion or cerebral answer or any, any parameter we might place around authentically hearing from God, unless it's like a biblical mandate. We're not promised we'll feel, although we are told that we see examples where there is an emotive response. Here you have awe, but that's not the truth for every, um, for every single situation. And I think this is where the devotion to the teachings of the apostles is important. If you look at the, the variation of what prayer looks like in the Bible, I mean, you've got like people singing hymns in the Philippian jail cell down to like the prophets who are like turning purple on their side because they've been proclaiming God's truth for so long and, it, and nothing's changing. And there is this chasm of, of response. And so um, I would say be, be mindful that it's not bad to expect that. In fact, that's the way you've been designed. Some of you are designed this way. 
And that is a, that is a, a remnant of the Im image of God on you. But we just have to be careful that we don't preconceive an image of God, that we, don't, we expect the king to function according to our kingdom, not his. And, and that, that, you know, I said that, I think, rather articulately, but it's emotionally really hard. Like, I, I'm just saying, like, that, I don't want you thinking, like, I just spouted that off, like, and it's easy. I'm saying it's not easy, because what it means is you've got to be okay if God pauses or God speeds up or decelerates. There are places in life where God stops things. There are places in life where God, God moves things. All of these are the ways that God works. And, and it is very hard sometimes to, um, you know, you might read about the goodness of God, but not feel it. And that's, that's a challenge. It is. So I'm trying to empathize here. So you know I have some emotion. Uh, uh, Matt, last one. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And I would, uh, in case, you know, you didn't hear this over here, Matt is talking about some of the, the tension about the way we pray in particular. Like, you even said, like, um, like you know, God knows everything that's going to happen. Why pray? That's a real common question. And what, what I would say to that is that this is, uh, this is sort of the, the scale of economy when it comes to, to the life of, or to a prayer life. And that is that you know, we do believe that, that God is all-knowing and all-powerful, all of these things that, that might, they might nudge us towards the side of the fence where we think, if God is all of these things, like, what's my role in this? Why, why even pray? And I've actually heard people, I've, I've heard people say things that I think are not healthy about prayer, like, well, we do it just because it helps us. It doesn't really matter to God because he's going to do what he's going to do. But the truth is that you don't even see that in the Bible. Like, you actually, you see a place where Jesus is saying, like, Father, is there another way? Like, is it really this cup that I must drink? Like he asked God, and God was pretty clear with him in the garden that this, this was the way. So you can even see in Jesus that he is, he is wrestling with what his next step in life is because it's a pretty difficult one. And so I, I like to talk about prayer, um, and it might be great to just end where we began when we talk about the knee and the plow, that it is important for us to believe that God is God. And that, like Romans 8 says, he can take everything going on in the world, even some bad stuff. Um, I'm not saying he causes it, but I'm saying he can weave this into the tapestry of, of something very, very good. And we want to be the type of people that really do pray to the Lord. Like we really understand his character and his nature and his goodness. And our lives, our, our prayer life is reflected by that. But I would also say, like, for example, you need potatoes to eat, right? There is... Um, there is the reality that I could literally uh, see somebody who needs a potato is about to starve to death, and I don't need to do much praying in that moment, right? I should give up potato, or maybe five. And this is why I think there's an incredible 
responsibility tethered to this. Uh, prayer and action are seldom disconnected. You might see prayer for a season that then leads to action, but by prayer and action being integral, the knee and the plow are not meant to be separated. And so you, we almost have to, based on existing truth, like you used God's, the, the term God's will, there's a ton of revelation in the Bible of what the will of God already is. Like, we're to be kind to our neighbor, we're to care for our, you know, things that are difficult, like love our enemies, or, uh, or provide needs for others, sacrificial living. Some of the, God's will, or the great majority of it, is in the scripture. I think what you're talking about is like what that looks like on a Wednesday afternoon. Like, how do we take these ideas of like generosity or sacrifice and then, and then apply it in a in an actual daily fashion. Sure. And so this is exactly why I will answer this briefly. Um, but next week, we are actually going to look at each component here, because what you're talking about, uh, what you're talking about right now, in case somebody didn't hear this, is like, is it OK to pray for others? Is it OK for, for God to heal people or whether that's through something miraculous or through the beauty of modern medicine? What, what I would say is every one of these elements of prayer, adoration, confession, you're bringing up supplication and intercession. Supplication is uh, you're, you're asking God to supply a need, and in this case, the need is clarity in my next step, okay? What I am saying is that sometimes we might actually have two options before us, both functionally within the will of God. And I, I shared a story about when I left to go to seminary, I was really stressing out about whether or not I want, there was a super like wicked academic seminary in the middle of the country that I wanted to go to, but there was also one in New Orleans that was like crazy urban and in the middle of a really rough area. And I, I wanted to go, um, I, I wanted to go not into like Southern luxury. I wanted to go back to like my upbringing. And, and I, I stressed for so long about making a wrong choice between these two things. And then eventually, because it took me like 10 years to figure this out, I just decided I'm gonna go to the city. Uh, I realized that there really was no wrong choice there. Like both of those places would have provided me the education that I need to, to do this. And God, if we, if for example, when you're talking about things affecting things, yes, uh, if somebody lives an extra year, that's gonna affect a lot of things. Um, but the point is, is that it, the, the promise of Romans is that, this is a mind blower, is that God is constantly taking everything going on in the world and he's using it to bring about the answer, the, the fruition of the prayer of thy will be done, thy, thy kingdom come. And that is an important thing to know that even, even our mistakes can be weaved into the tapestry of the way that God is working to bring about his, uh, his goodness. Sure. If you are praying for God to run over your spouse, you are in the wrong. But 
No, no, no. control you're right is a challenge because sometimes when we pray and it's an elongated answer or a slow response or as Garth Brooks said one of God's greatest gifts is unanswered prayers right it's one of like seven country songs I like um the other one's called where the green grass grows literally it's like seven country songs I like that's it but uh even like Matt praying for a marriage right that that is within God wants healthy marriages right but you have to you also have to put some faith in God in that moment that that if we are praying things that, you know, there's things we don't even see. God is God, and he is going to do what he is going to do. And that's why I think, like, you have passages where Jesus says, pray persistently. Abe and I joke about this, our worship leader, quite a bit. Um, but we joke about it in a serious way. Uh, when Jesus is, he draws this distinction between the way the unhealthy prayer paradigms, what, what is known as vain Babelus in the Greek, babbling. Please God, please God, please God, do this, do this, do this, do this. In other words, it's like, th- this literally what it's referring to is like, if I ask 700 times to get that bandana back, God's going to give it to me, right? But what, what, what Jesus is saying, don't pray, don't pray like that. He's saying, you pray with persistence, like beat the door. And so anytime there is something before us that is a challenge, that's the way that I like to think about it. We are commanded by Jesus to beat on the door, to nonstop ask. And the beauty of that is that even if we're asking for things that are out, out of sorts and we don't even know it, we, we have the ability to, we, we trust that God is God. And look at Paul, who essentially gets to Rome very late because he defies the will and the, the instruction of all of his friends. He goes back to Jerusalem and literally God puts him in jail to keep him alive, okay? I like to say my analogy for this is God got Paul to Rome. He did everything he was not supposed to do. He collected this great offering for the poor and brought it back to Jerusalem. And everybody was like, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to murder you. That's what they were saying. And he was like, no, 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 this gift is going to be great. I'm kind of envisioning how Paul would be speaking right now. It's just going to be great. And he goes there. What happens is he's literally in prison. That's the only way he stays alive. And then he is, he's out of jail and he gets to Rome. So we know God wanted Christianity to go to Rome because from Rome it went to the world. And you can see that even through the imperfections of Paul, Romans. So this is where we have to have some trust in God, but not at the expense of, of without question, removing any responsibility and learning from those things. Like there's a ton of stuff, Paul, and we all should learn from places where we might have deviated from unhealthy prayer or, or maybe defied like where communal wisdom, like when every person in your life is saying no, there might be some substance to that, right? Um, maybe there is no substance, but in that case, you've got a great example of God still gets Paul to Rome. And I think that's an important thing to remember that um, God's kingdom is going to be built. We just need to not forget that he's doing it through us. And that's why our prayer is significant. It has the ability, as we'll talk about each one of these in particular next week, but uh, 
boy, there's some real power in each one of these words, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, intercession. And I'd like to discuss some examples of what these look like. So um, that is our time for sure. I would love to keep um, having this discussion. I'm certainly around afterwards if you want to. But um, what we'll do now is what we do each week, and that is we'll, we'll sort of wrap up with a time of, of prayer processing and um, and, and response. And so uh, Rob is going to come up here in a moment and just play something. And I want to encourage you, particularly since we're talking about prayer right now, if you have questions about prayer or there's something you need to be prayed for, you know somebody that needs prayer, if you would like to talk to somebody, sort of like how we just did in, in, in the group about, about how to develop a prayer life, don't don't not listen to what the Lord says to you now. Respond to him. If, uh, if you feel like God is leading you to believe in him for the first time, to trust in him, maybe you have uh, had a calloused or hard heart towards God, wherever you are, please know that this is a place of grace, and what we want most for you is to take your next step with Christ, whatever that is, and we are here to support you um, in that venture. Uh, this is also the time where, uh, Gospel Partners, uh, if we've, we've sort of committed to be partners at our church and to support the mission and uh, ministry of restoration with our tithes and our offerings. You can place those cards and those gifts in these towers as you exit after the benediction. If you're visiting with us, we simply ask that you do as the Lord leads. And if you are an online person, you likely already know about the tools that are present there. But I encourage you now for these remaining moments we have together to respond to God in whatever way that he, um, he leads you and speaks to you this morning. And make sure you invite somebody into that so that you don't walk the life of faith alone. All right, if you would please stand for a benediction. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for uh, an incredibly robust dialogue. Super thankful for it. And as you go, just remember that one of the benefits of loving Jesus and knowing him is that you have an unprecedented access to God the Father in heaven. So I pray you would not forget that, that God is always ready to hear from you and is clearly, based on the nature of the Bible, wanting to reveal himself to you. So make sure you live under that banner of truth this week as you go. And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen.